Now, we believe that the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in particular, show us the, the greatest moment in history as they recount to us the, the life and ministry, the words and actions of Jesus. But as you read through those books, I wonder if you have the same thought as I do, that they sure do that. They deal with those, the greatest moment in all of history, really in somewhat of an unusual way sometimes. And as we look at Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, continuing our series in Mark's Gospel, we focus there on Mark 1, 2 and 3, and, and the greatest moment in history has come... But the spotlight shines, at least for the beginning, most brightly on the messenger who goes before the Messiah. It seems somewhat unusual. And unlike Matthew and Luke, Mark doesn't quote very much scripture. And here he does for the first time in the passage we're looking at. But it's a passage not about Jesus, it's a passage about. John, the Baptist, as we'll see. It's about the messenger, not the Messiah. And so the question I ask, and one of the reasons we're taking so long to get through chapter 1 is because I do ask these kind of questions that maybe other people don't think of, and I tend to spend too long on them probably. You know, I read through the Bible with a one-year plan, and it takes me two or three years for a one-year plan. So if you would... Consider this question with me. Why would God send a messenger before the Messiah and focus upon that messenger so intently? I'll give you the short answer. It's so you wouldn't miss the hope that the Messiah brings. The hope that understanding who the Messiah is should shed in your hearts. And that's what I hope for us to unpack today. As we look at Mark chapter 1, we're going to focus on verses 2 and 3, but again, like we did last week, and we will probably do the same thing next week, Lord willing, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 1 in Mark's gospel. This is God's Word. Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judah was going out to him. <clears throat> Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
This is God's word. Lord, thank you for your word, that it is trustworthy and true. I pray you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to be transformed by it as your spirit comes with and through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, years ago, uh, a time when I, we had, I think, maybe six children under the age of eight. It was somewhere in that time frame. A lot of little people, and we did a lot of traveling. Uh, I was traveling, but I, I wasn't with my family. I was with a grown-up. Uh, one of the elders in our church and I at the time were going to a, a meeting, driving an hour or more. And uh, as we're going along in the midst of conversation, I, I interrupted our conversation and said something like, look, 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 a freight train. And he was like, looked to see the freight train first and then was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, never, never mind. Uh, when we go on journeys with my family, I'm always looking for things. I've, I've trained myself to pay attention and be able to point things out because the kids like that. It keeps the journey interesting and that takes some effort. And so apparently I got in such a habit that even when I'm not with my family and traveling with adults who will then think I'm a little bit weird, I will point these things out. I, I think I've probably lost that skill to a large degree, so don't be afraid of traveling with me. But I mean, if you like freight trains and old-fashioned cars and other things like that, then yeah, maybe you want to go along for the journey. Well, I, I, I share that to say, look, in a similar way, you know, we, we, we don't notice things very often, and we very often need someone to point them out. You know, my kids needed that. We need that. I was talking to a pastor just recently, a couple weeks ago, of another church, and he was lamenting how, you know, he puts something in the bulletin, and he puts it on the website, and he puts it in social media, and he announces it from the pulpit, and people will say afterwards, I didn't know, and people won't show up, right? You guys aren't like that, right? You guys always know what's going on, right? You, you read all the announcements, you, make, you write it on your account, right? Right? I'll leave that for your conscience. <laughs> And we have a hard time paying attention. We have a hard time noticing without help. And so the Lord makes that super clear he even in this situation because this is the most important event in history and God doesn't want you to miss it. So God not only kind of sets the alarm, right? And says it's going to happen and, and has the alarm go off at that time. But he's, he, set, he sets a couple of alarms ahead of time. And it says, it's going to happen, and not only is it going to happen, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you here. And then he's going to point to what's happening next. And it's all going to happen in a relatively short period of time, as God describes it in the distant past. And so as, as we look at this passage about John the Baptist and Jesus about the coming of Elijah and how that relates to John the Baptist... I want you to realize that, that God sent a messenger before the Messiah because he doesn't want you to miss the hope that can only come through that Messiah. He wants you to, to be alert and to pay attention and, and in a way prepare your heart for what the Messiah offers. And you'll, you'll understand that as you notice what you most 
need. And that's how we're going to look at this passage. First of all, noticing something. In particular, we're going to notice the Messiah. And the first thing we want to do in this passage is to just notice the Messiah. In particular, who He is. The Messiah is none other than the Lord God Himself. Come to earth. Look at verse 3 again with me. Mark 1 verse 3. Quoting Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, which we read a moment ago in the service. Mark writes, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. What the messenger is doing is saying the Lord is coming. You know, like you see, not so often, you don't hear this very often, but there used to be people who would stand like in Times Square in New York and on street corners wearing uh, like sandwich board, you call it, with a couple of poster boards basically front and back saying, the end is near, right? Repent. You know, that's the messenger doing here. He's saying the, the Lord is coming. And this coming of the Lord points us to this reality that, that the Messiah is the Lord. The Messiah is, is God himself. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 40 to look at the passage that's referred to in Mark chapter 1, verse 3. If you turn to Isaiah 40, we just read it a moment ago, but it would be a benefit to just walk through it real quickly right now. Isaiah 40, verse 1, starts off a new section in Isaiah, right after this historical section where uh, Isaiah is dealing with one of the last kings of, I can't remember if it was Israel or Judah at the time, uh, before the captivity of Israel, the northern kingdom. They will go into captivity, and this is around 700 B.C. Isaiah is writing and sharing these things. But in chapter 40, verse 1, then he skips forward and begins to speak of what will happen. And as the prophets do throughout the scriptures of the Old Testament, especially, he brings judgment and comfort. He brings warnings and promises. Threats and encouragement, all often mixed together. And so in chapter 40 of Isaiah becomes this message of comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And the sense of that isn't that she got twice as much as she deserved, so much as that the the uh, sin that she incurred has been paid back equivalently, like something folded over. They match that the payment equals the debts. Uh, that she has received what was due her for all of her sins. Isaiah 40, verse 3 continues, A voice is calling, and this is what Mark quotes in chapter 1, verse 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3, A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord. And in the Hebrew there of Isaiah 40, that is Yahweh. That is the covenant name of the true God as he's revealed himself to his people. That is the Lord, Yahweh. Clear the way for the Lord, for the true God in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God, as if it wasn't clear enough. The what Isaiah is pointing to is 
chapter 40, verse 5 says, The glory of the Lord will be revealed. All flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And keep going down in Isaiah 40, verse 9. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. And in the New Testament, that good news becomes the gospel. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Again and again, what Isaiah chapter 40 is saying is that the Lord is coming. And with the coming of the messenger, the Lord has come. That he comes before the Messiah so that we would notice who the Messiah is. That he is the Lord himself. And the messenger is John the Baptist. The messenger comes, so you notice the Messiah. John the Baptist is the messenger. You want to flip over to Matthew chapter 11. Jesus makes that really clear. Matthew chapter 11, verse 9. Jesus is speaking as some folks came to see him from John. And then Jesus begins to speak about John in Matthew 11, verse 7 and following. And in verse 9, Jesus says, What did you go out to see when you went to see John? What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And one who is more than a prophet. Matthew eleven ten. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. And that is Mark 1, chapter 2, which quotes Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. The same language. Jesus is saying, John is more than a prophet. And in fact, in Matthew 11, verse 13, Jesus says, All the prophets and the law prophesied until John. All of the law and the prophets prophesied until John. But with the coming of the messenger, John, who Jesus says in, in Matthew eleven fourteen. John himself is Elijah who was to come. That all the prophets and all of the law prophesied until John. But now with the coming of John, with the arrival of the messenger that was promised and predicted, with the alarm clock now ringing, it's time to get up. That God himself has come into our midst. John is pointing to that. Jesus is confirming that. And in fact, if you flip then back to Mark chapter 1, Jesus says in verse 15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel or repent and believe the good news. That John is the messenger, the second coming, so to speak, of Elijah, who is pointing to the Messiah, who John very clearly points to, especially saying in verse 7 of Mark 1, One is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. And John, the Apostle's Gospel, speaking of John the Baptist's ministry, makes it super clear. John sees 
Jesus coming toward him and says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me. He is before me. I didn't know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. This is the one who was to come. This is the Messiah. The, the reason that God sends a messenger before the Messiah is that you would notice who the Messiah is. That's a super hard thing. I mean, think about it, right? If, if, if we have a hard time tuning out the noise of our lives for an event we want to go to, like, you know, a fellowship meal or a, a new worship service time or some other activity that we get a notification about, right? We have a hard time remembering that and keeping track of it or paying attention to it, right? How much more so when the news is about someone coming to earth who is the God of gods and Lord of lords, who sees how we live and who's going to come down among us and get up all in our grill, to be in our space and among us. I mean, is that not something that would make us a little uncomfortable and maybe we want to kind of turn from it? And so God says, look, I want you to pay attention because there's so much more here. In the Old Testament saints, as they looked forward to the promises of God, they had a very hard time discerning what we now see as this gap, as this time that we are living in between the first coming of the Messiah and His second coming when He fulfills all things. You know, they kind of saw it as we see a mountain range in the distance, right? It looks kind of flat and you don't have any idea that, wow, there are a lot of mountains and they go very far. That it's all kind of jumbled together. That's what they saw as they looked to the future. They didn't discern that there's a big valley between those mountains. That there's a lot that's going to happen. And so they jumbled things up and expected at the coming of Jesus that that the end would come right then, that the, the nations would be judged, that the people would be delivered, that everything would happen the way God details it in His Word. And everything did happen, but their understanding needed tweaking. And so how much more important is it for God to say, look, I, I want you to be sure, and I want you to know this is what I'm doing. I'm going to send a messenger who's going to say the Messiah is coming and he's going to point to that Messiah and then the Messiah is going to come and he's going to do stuff. And so the, the, the thing to wrestle with there is who is this Messiah? And John says very clearly it is Jesus. It is Jesus. That is why we call him Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week. Christ is the Greek word means the same thing as the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means anointed. That Jesus is, is the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior of the world. And He is more than just the Son of David. He is more than just a human. He is God and humanity together. That He is the God-man. And, and you have to understand that to really get the hope that the Messiah brings. You have to really begin to get your mind around that. And you're not going to do that until you understand not only who He is, that okay, He's the God-man, sure, but that what He comes to do is, is to meet our need. So you not only then need to notice the Messiah, who He is, but you also need to understand your need for the Messiah. And that's our second main point. The, the need you and I have for 
a Messiah. And, and the short version of that is, we need him to take away your sin. Look with me at Mark chapter 1, verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. You know, paraphrasing that for clarity, I'm going to remove the pronouns and, and put in who they're referring to. So if you do that, Behold, I, the Lord God, send my messenger, Elijah, John, ahead of you, the Messiah, Jesus, who, John, Elijah, will prepare your way, Jesus. How does he do that? If you look at John's message, and Lord willing, you know, we'll dig into John's preaching next week uh, more in detail, but just glancing at it briefly. In the following verses, he came, chapter 1, verse 4 of Mark, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, people were going out to him and they were being baptized, confessing their sins. He was dressed weird, verse 6 says. Verse 7, he was preaching and saying, there's someone greater than me coming. I baptize you with water, he's going to baptize you with the Spirit. You know, you could read all of this and say, well, the way we're supposed to prepare for God's coming is to repent of our sins and get all cleaned up, to make ourselves presentable for God. Yes. And if you've been paying attention to all of Scripture up to this point in history, all of the Old Testament, you will recognize that what Joshua said of the people when they said, we will follow the Lord is true of us as well. You can't follow Him. You will go astray. That's not enough. Then in fact, one of the things John is doing and saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Make level the mountains and bring up the valleys. Can you do that? How much earth-moving equipment, how many bulldozers, and how, how many wrecking balls would you need to fill in the land if you think about the going up to Jerusalem? To fill in the valleys and to level the hills. I mean, they've been working on the, the Blue Route and that northern extension. They, I mean, they've been working around here. Can you get anywhere in Upper Darby without having to go on a detour? No. And they're just putting up telephone poles. Right? Okay, it's complicated, everything. And they happen to come every time we start a ministry. Did you know that? First day of EBS, they show up out of the blue all of a sudden. First day of cheer, show up. They block off. Next day, they're gone like during the week. Then the next Friday, they show up again. Block up all the road. Where was I going with this? Other than ranting about telephone poles. <laughs> to level the hills and fill in the valleys, to make the path straight, just straightening a road, much less all the other things, is a massive undertaking, right? And don't hear that and think, okay, so then I just need to clean myself up a little bit better, right? Sure, I need to straighten the roads in my life and I, I need to fill in those valleys. You know, you hear it as... Wow, that's a lot. Who can do that? Not you. Not me. And of course, it's not literally asking us to do those things. It's a metaphor saying, really, to prepare for the Lord, you need to straighten up your act. But if you sincerely try to do that, you're going to recognize it's just as big of an ordeal as if you were trying to level the mountains. 
And so it points to what we really need. We need help. We need someone else to do all the work. We need someone else to come alongside and walk us through it. And in fact, that's what the promise that John speaks of here is. That's the promise of the scriptures, right? That's the promise of the new covenant. That's the promise of what the Messiah in particular would bring is this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit where God would soften our hard hearts, where God would replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, where God would sprinkle clean water upon us and make us clean, where God would come to dwell within us in abundance forever. That we would no longer have to hear the external commands of the law and say, well, i got to do better. But we would have a motivation within that now we long for His ways. And we want the path to be straight. That we are less and less tempted to go wandering and more and more interested in what His will is. And the Lord prepares us for that, in particular as John, the the messenger, Elijah, comes to prepare for the Messiah and says things like he does over in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Chapter 1, verse 35 of John's Gospel. The next day again, John saw, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus and as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The Messiah is Jesus. He came as the God-man, uniting heaven and earth in his person. Fully God, fully human. It's mysterious. He had to do that because the help we need is on the order of you and I trying to fill in the big holes out here on the roads that never end. To level this hill that we're sitting on right now. You can't do it. But God says, I have come to do it. A moral equivalent of of doing that. To say, You have sinned and racked up a debt you could never repay. But I've come down to take care of it, the Lord says. That I have come to be with you as the Lamb who will take away the sins. Which that Lamb and the sacrificial system was was never an end in itself. It was always pointing forward to the Messiah, to the the Lamb of God who would come, the one who would take away sin for real, because the blood of bulls and goats will never cleanse us. It would require a real sacrifice to pay our debts. And that is what Jesus offers. And only He can offer, because He is the Messiah who's God Himself come from heaven to earth to live perfectly, obediently, to die on the cross for our sin, for your sin to rise victorious and send forth the Holy Spirit that you would be united to Him forever and ever. It was not ritualistic sacrifices, but the righteous sacrifice of the Son of God that wanted, that, that God wanted and would only be satisfied. It was not this religion of works, but faith in the work of Jesus, the Messiah that God would have us point to. He didn't say... Make your offerings more faithfully. He didn't say, 
Stop offering blind and lame sacrifices. Stop working on the Sabbath. John came saying, repent. That the way to prepare for the Lord's coming, the way to receive Him in your life is repentance. To turn from your sin to God who is merciful and kind. So I ask you, have you done that? Do you realize that you can never straighten yourself up? That no amount of good works are going to outdo the bad that you've done in word, in your thoughts, in your deeds. And that the only hope you have to fill in those holes is for the blood of Jesus to cover you. And all that's required is for you to believe that. To believe those promises are for you. If you have done that, do you feel like you've now moved on to something deeper and more profound? That now somehow, having heard that, now you put the burden on yourself again. That you have to do it all. That God will let you go or no longer accept you if you don't keep working hard and filling in those holes. That is not the way He works. Don't hear me saying you don't need to repent of your sin and turn from it. But that flows, if you understand who this Messiah is, that, that repentance flows from an awareness of who God is and what He's done for you. That repentance flows from a recognition that that sin and brokenness is bad and you don't want it. And so you turn to God with, as the catechism says, full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. And that's a very big difference from kind of having a Messiah who's going to save your job or going to save your family relationships or going to get your kids into school or get your political party elected or bring about the changes you want to see in the world. That the fundamental need you have and I have and that everything else should flow from is the need for forgiveness. For God Himself to have paid the debt of your sin. And that's so important, so vital, so crucial that God sends a messenger before His Messiah that you wouldn't miss it because that is the hope that you have, that you are forgiven. And if you understand who Jesus is and what He's done, you will know that assurance. And you will live in light of that. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, We are thankful that you sent a messenger before the Messiah. And I pray, Lord, we would see who he is. And that we would, in a sense, point others to him. That, Lord, we might find ourselves saying the equivalent of, Oh, look, a freight train. When we see Jesus at work in each other's lives, in the ministry of this church, in the healing and brokenness of our families and our communities, Lord. But let us first recognize the great need that will never go away until you return and finish the good work you began in us.
our need for forgiveness. And flowing from that a sincere repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.